It is, uh, it is good to be with you all today. I see uh, multiple people that I don't think I've ever seen before. So welcome to Harvest, whether this is your first time or maybe you've been several times. But we're, we're glad to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Acts chapter 21. It's, uh, it's amazing. We're, we're getting towards the end of this book, um, which I'm sad. I've, I've loved preaching through Acts. But as you turn there, um, I just want you to start thinking, how, how do you go about making difficult decisions in life? Like, I, I don't know if if you have maybe certain processes that you go through. Maybe there are certain people uh, that you, they're kind of your go-to uh, uh, wise counsel that, that you seek out. Um, but this year, I'm, I'm confident that all of us will, will have multiple times where we have to make some, some decisions that, that, aren't, that aren't a layup, right? Decisions that, that will actually take um, a, a lot of discernment, that we'll have to wrestle through. Um, and here in Acts 21, we, we see Paul, and he makes a, a couple different decisions, and, and, it, and it goes different. Uh, Differently, I think Luke gives us uh, uh, some some scenarios that um, uh, they don't contradict each other, but they're not like each other. Uh, so let, let's let's jump in here. Acts twenty one verse one. Um, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and then the next day to Rhodes, uh, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, uh, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we would lodge." So we're going to take this first section and then we'll keep going. We'll end up, uh, we'll end in verse 26 
today. But you may remember, if you haven't been with us, uh, the Apostle Paul is journeying. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to uh, get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, right? So he can be there for the feast. And we don't, we don't know all the reasons, um, but, but I imagine that, that he was eager to celebrate Pentecost with, uh, with fellow believers. Back in Acts uh, chapter 20, he explains that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that, that imprisonment, that afflictions await him. Um, and as he's making his way on this journey to Jerusalem, as Paul does when he stops in a place that he's been he sees disciples that he has made. He, he stops and he visits and they're eager to see him. He's eager to see them and they do not want him to go. The Holy Spirit has made it clear on multiple occasions in this short, short section through multiple people that it will be very difficult for Paul in Jerusalem. So they don't want him there, right? And we cannot blame them. It is hard when you see someone that you just have deep, deep care for, a deep love for, to see them go uh, through something difficult. You don't want them to suffer. And Luke doesn't give us much detail, but in, in verse 4, uh, we find out that, that through the Spirit, they know that it will be bad for Paul in Jerusalem. And they're saying, no, don't, don't do it. You don't have to go there. The Holy Spirit here is making the, the prediction, right? He's saying this is what is going to happen. The, the people are the ones making the prohibition, right, to not go. The Spirit said this is going to happen. The people are saying, no, Paul, don't do it. You don't have to do it. By verse 5, they're praying with Paul. And, and perhaps, uh, actually, I'm, I'm quite confident that their prayers would have reflected their desire for him to avoid imprisonment to avoid uh, Jerusalem all together. And maybe you've prayed with someone before and, and you start off your prayer, you really are talking with God, but pretty soon uh, you're really talking to the other person. You're not even praying anymore, but in this, in this pseudo prayer, you're, you're talking to this other person, maybe trying to convince them of something. And I wonder if they were doing that here. As they're praying, their heart is, is, is being tugged upon for the gospel to be proclaimed, right? They, they want Paul to be a faithful servant of Christ. They want Paul to depend on the spirit. But I'm also sure that there was a questioning. God, is this really what you're doing? Right? Is, this, is this the best way to use Paul? Like he's, he's pretty awesome, God. You've used him to lead so many to Christ. I'm sure they wondered in their hearts, but perhaps out loud in their prayers, maybe they said, God, wouldn't Paul be so effective in this other city, right? One that hasn't heard of Jesus yet. Look at, look at how you've used him through all these different cities to lead people to the Lord, to start churches. But Paul set. They jump on the next ship and they set sail. In verses eight and nine, we come to Philip. You remember Philip from earlier in Acts. He was with the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and now we're told he has uh, four daughters at this point and they're prophesying. And then in verse 10, this guy named Agabus uh, comes up. Um, we've heard of Agabus, I think, I think it was back in chapter 16. But here we see a little more of, of Agabus's uh, flair for drama. He, he's, like, he's like an old school, Old Testament prophet here. Um, if, if Agabus would have been around today in high school, he would have been a drama kid, right? He, he takes the belt of Paul, and, and, it, and it's not like the little belts we have. Like it's, it's a long cloth piece 
peace, he takes it and, and he, he binds his own feet and his hands. And he's, he's physically demonstrated, he's given this, this little, uh, this mini drama of what will happen to Paul, saying this, this is what the Holy Spirit says. That, that the man who owns this belt, that Paul, he's gonna be bound by the Jews. He's gonna be handed over to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And, and they hear this and their hearts just sink. And, and for a while now in, in Acts, um, we, we keep reading we, and this is Luke, the author of Acts. He's including himself in this. Right? Verse 12, it says, when we heard this, we and the people urged him, don't go. Right? Luke and all of these people that love Paul, they're pleading with him. Right? They're begging him. I'm sure that many of them, there were tears flowing saying, Paul, you don't have to do this. Don't do this, Paul, please. There, there's, there are other places that you can go and preach. Right? This, is, this is emotional. Right? And I'm sure you've been through something hard yourself. And for loved ones, in some ways, it's almost harder for them. Right? Like, like maybe, maybe you've had a diagnosis of some sort. And, and yes, it's, it's certainly hard for you, but man, for, for your spouse or your kids, it, it's hard for them. And they're hurting for you, and then you're hurting for them. Paul here in verse 13, he's like, you, you're, you're weeping, you're, you're breaking my heart here. Right? I know you don't want me to suffer. I know you don't want me to die. But Paul is set. Right? He's prepared not only for imprisonment, he says, but, but he's ready to die for the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit had been preparing him for some time. Or if you've been with us through Acts, or if you've read the book of Acts, man, Paul has suffered. Paul has suffered over and over again, being beaten. He's been in prison. He's, he's, he's had these sketchy trials um, that, that he's been through. The Holy Spirit has been preparing him for some time. And now the Spirit has, has made it clear by telling him, this is coming for you in, in Jerusalem. This will happen. But Paul knows that God has been with him every step of the way. Even, even in his death, he knows that, that Jesus is with him. And he says, no, dying for the name of Jesus is worth it. Now, Paul's willingness to die for the gospel wasn't just something for, for the, the first generation of Christians, right? Today, there need to be believers that are willing to go to the hardest places in the world to share the good news. Uh, you might remember a young man named uh, John, John Chow. Um, and I think we have a picture of him. Uh, that'll be up here. John, uh, John Chow uh, in 2018 died. Um, he, uh, he went... Uh, to an island off the coast of India, uh, hoping to reach uh, the Sentinel people, uh, a remote, violent, violent people. Um, and, and John, his hope was that, that he would remain invisible, whether, whether he lived or died. But for uh, a couple of weeks after his death, maybe it was even longer than that, you might remember, he was all over uh, the news. He attempted to make contact with this, this tribe um, and to the world he looked like a fool, right? Trying to connect with these people that, that wanted no one to come onto their island. And I think even to many Christians, um, he was written off as a fool. Uh, I don't know about you, but one thing that I've recognized over the last decade or so is that uh, news outlets, they don't tell the whole story, right? I'm talking to everybody. I'm not like 
I'm not picking against the one you don't like. I'm, every news outlet messes it up, right? Well, John, uh, part of why he looked like the fool was because that was actually, that was actually part of his plan if he did die. Um, he didn't want Christians uh, or, or missions organizations to look bad. He knew that, that the world would never understand taking Jesus to an unreached people group. So he, uh, he tried to make this kind of adventure bro persona through uh, Instagram. And, and for like a day or so, it worked. It looked like he was just this adventurous dude that did something pretty stupid. Uh, but eventually it was discovered that he, he went there on purpose, that he was hoping to reach this remote tribe and tell them about Jesus. He died, like I said, when he was 26, but God started all of this in him at 17 years old. He went on a missions trip um, and, and, and God gripped his heart on that trip for uh, the unreached. He, he echoed uh, Isaiah's cry, here I am, send me. So he found out about the Sentinel people through a website called Joshua Project. It's a, a website that's dedicated uh, to, uh, to uh, unreached people groups, right? People groups that, that, that have less than 2% of Christians or some literally have no Christians representing Jesus. Uh, and he began preparing for almost a decade. Um, I, I won't list off everything that he did, but uh, his dorm room in college, he had a, an aerial view, this, this photo of the North Sentinel Island hanging in his dorm room to remind him every day um, uh, of what he was preparing for. He took linguistic training courses uh, from Wycliffe Bible translators because he knew that, that no one off that island knew this language, like they were that remote. And, and he was going to need the linguistic skills to learn how to communicate with them and then hopefully someday translate scripture uh, into their native tongue. Uh, he became uh, wilderness EMT certified in order to provide people with basic medical care. Uh, he received all the necessary vaccinations since he would be going somewhere where, where they would not have immunity to Western viruses. He underwent uh, laser eye surgery uh, so they wouldn't have to worry about glasses or contacts. Um, the guy even took cold showers because he knew he, he wasn't going to have hot water. During college in the summers, he worked in a uh, national uh, recreation area, which gave him free housing. And, and he, was, he was disciplined enough to live off of $30 a week uh, from his pay there in order so he could save the rest for his, his mission. Uh, John connected with a, a missions group called All Nations. Uh, the executive director, Mary Ho, said John was one of the most prepared individuals she'd ever met. They trained him in church planting among the unreached. Um, all nations connected him with a missionary that had worked with, uh, with another remote tribe in, in that region, and, and they discussed everything, right? They, they talked about what worked, what didn't work. Um, they, they discussed potential strategies to connect what might endear him to them. John was well aware that, uh, that the last people, two fishermen uh, that tried to make contact with his tribe in, in 2006 were killed. Uh, a friend and mentor said this about John. John knew this could cost him everything. He knew that he might even be misunderstood by many that would judge him. He didn't want any glory even in his death. John wrote this in his journal. Death is inevitable. I can die in a car crash. I can die from a snake bite. I can die from cancer. There are many ways we can die. I'm going to the island this November, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm ready. I'm ready to lay my life down for the gospel. He, he never underestimated the potential dangers of his mission. 
he valued the souls of the Sentinelese people more than he valued his own safety. So he hired a small fishing boat to get him near the island on November 15th of 2018. Before dawn, John went ashore. He buried two cases of supplies for his stay on the island. Later that morning, he kayaked along the shore, hoping to show good intentions by by giving them fish and and other gifts um, for the islanders. The first islanders uh, appeared and they carried uh, their bows, but, but un, unstrung. Um, later, when they strung their, their arrows in their bows, John paddled out of range and back to the boat. He approached again that afternoon. He delivered more gifts, getting, uh, getting close to an islander before that young Sentinelese, uh, Sentinelese uh, man launched an arrow that lodged firmly in his waterproof Bible that he was carrying. And, and this, is, this is where the arrow landed. It landed, it stopped at Isaiah 65, the first two verses. I want to read those for you. It says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread up my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. On that second attempt, John got out of his kayak. He was hoping to appear less threatening. Uh, and then he had to retreat, left his kayak, left his, his U.S. passport in, in his kayak, swam back to the boat to safety. Um, and, and after that day, he, he wrote in his journal, just poured out his heart, which the, the fishermen later gave to his Christian friends. But here's a, a little piece of what he wrote that night. He said, watching the sunset, and it's beautiful, crying a bit. Wondering if it'll be the last sunset I see before being in the place where the sun never sets, tearing up a little bit. God, I don't want to die. Who will take my place if I do? Why did that kid shoot at me? His high-pitched voice still lingers in my head. Father, forgive him and any other people on this island who try to kill me, and especially forgive them if they succeed. He said, Lord, strengthen me as I need your strength and protection and your guidance in all that you give and are. Whoever comes after me to take my place, whether it's after tomorrow or another time, please give them a double anointing and bless them mightily. There there will be others that come after John to reach this remote island. Uh, This verse isn't on the screen. This is Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. These people, some from these people will come to know Jesus. Now, most of us are never going to do something like that. Though, though I do hope that at some point, like we are sending people uh, from our, our, our very own body to unreached people groups. But, but even those people probably won't have arrows shot at them, right? As, as they hope to share Christ, we're not going to have arrows shot at us here as we hope to share Christ. But I wonder, what does it look like right here to die for Christ? Right, what does it look like to lay down your life at work for Jesus? How do we die to ourselves in our neighborhoods, or our workplaces, or our schools, or our book club, or sports team, or whatever it is that you're involved with? How do we die to ourselves so that others may hear about Christ? Well, everyone, including Luke, as I said, tried to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. And remember, these are, these are godly people Right? They've got good, good intentions, people that loved Jesus, people that loved the gospel, people that, that loved the church. But Paul makes this decision 
that he's going to go. And it's one thing to make a decision as a believer that is unpopular with culture, right? We're used to that as Christians. There are non-Christians that, that you know and love and they love you and they want the best for you, but, but you see the world differently. You see this life differently. You see eternity through a different lens. So we're used to having to make decisions that defy the logic of those who don't know Christ. But what about when you're with another believer or a group of believers and they disagree with you, right? You don't see it the same and there's no scripture to point out who is right. You respect one another. They urge you to to make a different decision. Man, it can be so hard when, when one Christian or a group of Christians see a decision one way and you, uh, with conviction, see it another way? And are you able to stand on your convictions even when you're all alone? Let's keep going. Verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified him. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done. They will certainly hear that you have come, right? So Paul's in Jerusalem, right? There's a group that is eager to see him, right? They know Paul, they love Paul. Certainly they've heard reports, but they're ready. They're ready to hear from Paul himself of the Holy Spirit's work among the Gentiles on his missionary journey. So he gets together with James, all the elders are there and he shares ministry reports, no doubt telling them story after story of the marvelous work, the, the miraculous work that God had done among among Gentiles, saving them, uh, uh, raising up disciples, planting churches, um, the opportunities that, that he had to make disciples among people who had never even heard about Jesus. So there's this great work among the Gentiles and they all agree. They all glorify God, but there's a, there's a problem that we see. And uh, whether you understood or not, uh, they're saying that, hey, these Jewish Christians, right? And, and I'm sure uh, Jews that didn't yet believe as well, they've heard about Paul's ministry. And they've heard some, some rumors about what Paul's been teaching that, that supposedly, only they didn't say supposedly, I'm saying supposedly, um, that, that Paul said, hey, ditch Moses, right? Circumcision, you don't need that, right? D- don't worry uh, about the law. And, and someone says, well, what? what do we do, right? And, and, and they, they certainly, Paul, they're gonna know you're here. So this is gonna be a problem for James and the elders. This is gonna be a, a problem for the Jerusalem church, right? The, the, the leaders are gonna get questions saying, how, how can you even associate with Paul? We've heard what he said, right? I know you guys were close, but, but I just don't get it, right? I heard he said this about Moses. I heard he said that about circumcision. One quick thing. And this is not what this passage is about, but I'm just going to hit pause real quick. A good rule for each of us. Man, if we haven't heard a person directly say it, don't, don't take it as gospel, right? We need to make sure. And man, 
the whole world struggles with this and the church struggles too. Man, gossip is juicy, right? Like we, we all, whether we admit it or not, we're, we're drawn to it. Um, man, let's assume the best, right? Let's assume the best, in, especially in fellow Christians. Let's assume the best until you've heard the words out of their, their mouth. All right, unpause. Um, okay, so the question is, so what do we do, right? This is gonna be a problem for James, for the elders, for the church. I mean, this, this could have sent waves through the church, just Paul showing up and, and, and them associating with him. So someone proposes a plan and, and Paul is going to have to make a decision here. Right? In the first section, he, he made a choice to go against what, what all uh, of the brothers and sisters in Christ were urging him to do. And they said, don't go to Jerusalem. He, he did it. But, but this, is, this is a different, these are different circumstances. Uh, this is a new choice that he's going to have to make. And, and still, he's getting it from godly people that love him and love Jesus. Verse 23 says, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent them a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And you might hear that and just go like, what? <laughs> it's weird to us, right? Like, some guys made a vow and suddenly Paul's paying for their haircut. Like what? Well, that's weird. Um, so what's being proposed here is, is hey, Paul, there, there are these four uh, Jewish men and they've, they've made a vow of some sort. And Luke, Luke doesn't tell us what the vow is that, that we've made. You, you, you get into the commentaries and they're like, there are at least four views on like what the vow is. Luke doesn't tell us because he doesn't think it's important for us to know. So don't, I mean, if you want to nerd out on that later today, you can, but don't get stuck there right now. So we do know that, that in the law, there were different vows and there were offerings that were made. And, and there are these, these steps that you went through to, to fulfill these vows to the Lord. And this is part of, their worship. So they're saying to Paul, hey, take these, these, these good Jewish guys that, that are respected. They've made this vow. Go with them. Pay their expenses, right? The, the haircut's a part of this vow. Pay for that. And this will show the Jews that you are not against the ways of Moses. That's the plan presented to him. Paul did not have to do it, right? He, he could have said, yeah, that's pretty stupid. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I haven't done anything wrong. If they think I've said something, they should come talk to me, right? He could have ranted about, about rumors, about what he taught. He, he could have been frustrated at this church game of telephone. He could have said, I have freedom in Christ, right? I don't have to do this for anyone. I haven't done anything wrong. But what does Paul do? He takes these four guys. He pays their way. He too purifies himself along with them. He goes to the temple. In the, in the first section, Paul stands up to the pressures of the brothers and sisters in Christ that are adamant that he should not go to Jerusalem. Right? And I'm sure that, that there were excellent arguments made, giving Paul compelling reasons to stay. 
And it would have been tempting to hear a well laid out argument to make the decision that would be way easier uh, coming from a, a godly friend. Right? Them trying to talk you out of would be di- what would be difficult and painful, possibly even deadly. It is challenging to not take the easy path. We all want to. But we all know that just because it's easy doesn't mean it's the right decision. Right? Just imagine if you always took the easy path in life. Literally, no one would remain married. I mean, I know that's funny. <laughs> But it's true, right? You would, you would not have a single real friend. You wouldn't go to the same church for very long at all. Like just taking the easy path all the time, that's not going to work, right? You ever go to someone for advice and you realize, man, you're just hoping they're going to tell you do the easy thing. Or, or maybe, maybe you've been on the other side. Maybe someone comes to you for advice and there's two decisions and, and, and you're in, in prayer, you're telling them you know, what you think is a godly decision, but you realize they just want you to say, do the easy thing. They, they don't really want to hear what you have to say. Paul could have done that, right, in the first one, but, but he stood his ground. He stuck with his conviction. Sometimes the, the difficult path is the way to go. But certainly you don't make every decision based on what is hardest either. You'd be a fool to take the easy path every time. You'd be a fool to take the harder path every time. Uh, This time, the more difficult decision was good. In the second section, everyone tells him what to do. And you could look at Paul and say, Paul, you stood your ground before. Now you're folding like laundry. But they had no right to tell you what to do. Those people weren't even correct. They were in the wrong right? I mean, I'm not letting someone tell me what to do so that other people are happy. And yet Paul seems to think that this was the good decision. And Luke, Luke certainly doesn't paint it as a bad decision. So how do we make godly decisions, right? When we can't go to a verse that says, yep, you need to go up to Jerusalem or you need to pay for those four dudes to get a haircut. Right? When you don't have that, how do we make godly decisions when, when everyone or a lot of people that you respect and trust, man, they see it the opposite way of you? How do we know when to say yes and when to say no? Ready to be frustrated? I can't give you a formula. Right? I can tell you that the prayer as a believer, man, you, you gotta be praying through decisions. Right? Uh, certainly, obviously, I'm going to tell you, we need to go to God's word. Uh, I'm going to tell you that seeking wise counsel is prudent. Uh, all, all those are good. Those are helpful. But I can't give you this formula of like, if you do this plus this, then, then it'll work out like this. But here, here's some scripture, though, that might help shape us as we make decisions. 1 Corinthians 9, 20, Paul's actually, he's talking about the, the, the second section we went through, uh, 9, 20 through 23. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. 
to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. F.F. Bruce wrote, a truly free spirit is not bound to its freedom. A truly free spirit is not bound to its freedom, meaning you're also free to restrict yourself. Right? Even though you have freedoms in Christ, one of those freedoms is to restrict yourself for someone else. Paul knew he had freedoms in Christ. He knew that he was free to restrict himself in order to win people for the gospel any way he could do it. He wanted to win people for the gospel and he was ready to do what it would take. Again, this isn't a formula, but it does, it does show us one major factor for Paul in making decisions is, hey, what's the gospel impact here, right? Does this in any way detract from the gospel? Will this help move the gospel forward? I ask you, does the gospel factor into your decisions, my decisions? Uh, I knew a couple, they... Uh, they were considering purchasing a house that was just a massive upgrade from the house they'd been living in for, I think, almost a decade. Um, when they bought it, it was just the two of them. It was, it was plenty big enough. And, and then kids started coming. And, and then kids grew and grew and grew. And, and this house that, that once was plenty, it was feeling pretty tight. So, so they wanted me to go look at this property with them. And it was, man, it was a huge house. It was on, uh, I don't know, like four or five acres. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. And, and I didn't know what they wanted from me. But, but at one point, after seeing the whole thing, they, they, they said, Greg, do you think if we bought this house, it would be a hindrance to the gospel? And I was, I don't know what I, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know they were going to ask me that question, right? And it wasn't like some gaudy, unbelievable, like, I don't know, gold leaf, everything house. Like it was nice for sure. But for them, it was so huge compared to what they'd been living in, right? And, it, and the house needed work too. Like it wasn't this unreal place, but, but they were like, man, if we bought this place, would, would it in any way hinder the gospel? And I was, uh, it was, that was easy for them. I'm like, no, like, I know you guys, you're going to use this property actually for the gospel. You're going to use this property to have Christians over, to have, to have unbelieving neighbors over. Like, I know you're going to use this for the gospel. And I, I walked away going, man, what kind of questions do the rest of us ask ourselves when we're looking to buy a house? I think the number one question probably is, can I afford the payment? Right? Or, or if it's a bigger house, man, is this, is this house too big for me to clean? Like those are the things, those are the things, if we're honest, that we probably think about those before we ask gospel questions, if, if we ever even get there. So do our, do our decisions prioritize the gospel? no matter what stage of life you're in, right? Whether, whether you're middle school or high school, or maybe, maybe you're just about to finish up college or maybe you started your career, or, or maybe you're, you're on the back nine of your career or, or others, you've been retired for so long, you don't even remember what that was like to be, to be like us suckers, right? But man, do you, do you, do you prioritize the gospel in your decision making. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that every decision is gonna have this, this clear like gospel impact. But, but when you can see that there is, like, are you asking the question? Another verse, James 1.5. Right, James tells us really simply, man, you need, you need to ask God for wisdom. 
If you're a believer, you need to ask God for, for not, not just worldly wisdom, but you want heavenly wisdom. He says this, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And I hope, I hope that we're all praying for wisdom regularly. Lastly, uh, Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, uh, ultimately we submit to God's will. We remember Jesus praying on the night before his betrayal. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, right? Take this, take this suffering from me, this, this, this death on the cross, take this from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Would we be a people I mean, we, we just so want God's will to be done in everything that we do, every place we go, whether that means a, a really hard decision or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's something that's actually not that hard for us at all, but we, would we just so submit to God's will and laying down our own will? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, God. I, I've just so enjoyed the book of Acts. Lord, and I thank you. Um, I thank you that, man, we're able to look at this book and, and see the power of, of your Holy Spirit at work through your people. And I hope that we're recognizing more and more week after week, the Holy Spirit, you haven't changed. You, you still are at work. There's still, there's still people that need to hear about you, Jesus. God, would you give us this, this insatiable hunger for you to be glorified everywhere, whether it's, whether it's here in, in our part of Clark County or, or somewhere on the other side of the world. God, would we long for people to hear the name of Jesus, to trust in you, Lord, knowing that, that you are the one that died for us so that we can live with you forever. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.